0: Welcome to Economics in Action, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to economics. In this episode, we'll be talking about inflation, what it is, how it's measured, what causes it, why no one likes it, at least most people, and how to fix it. As of this podcast, in August 2023, inflation is hovering around 3.7%, down from almost 9% a year earlier. While it seems like an impressive feat and that praise should be in order for the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell, who was tasked to keep inflation low and steady, we'll see that the story is more complicated than it seems. In fact, it's been puzzling to many. One of the main macro models, the Phillips Curve, has been thrown into question once again. The Phillips Curve developed in 1958 and named after the New Zealand economist A.W. Phillips Is basically the idea that inflation and unemployment are related in an inverse or negative way. That is, when inflation is coming down, unemployment levels should be rising, at least to some extent. Inflation has been coming down over the past year, but unemployment hasn't budged. We'll examine what's going on here in a bit. But first, let's start with the definition of inflation. Inflation is the rate at which the general level of prices for goods and services in an economy rises, leading to a decrease in the purchasing power of money. In simpler terms, when inflation is present, each unit of currency buys fewer goods and services than it did previously. Therefore, when inflation is happening, my dollars buy less than they did before. Not a great thing. The important thing to realize is that inflation is the general level of prices. You might see milk prices rising at the store and think, oh no, inflation. But that's not correct. In fact, the price of milk could be rising and there could be deflation or falling prices. That's because while the price of milk might be rising, all of the other prices for goods and services in the economy might be falling. Okay, so you might be thinking, how do we know inflation is happening if price increases in individual goods, like milk, don't mean that there actually is inflation? Good question. That's where a price index comes in. Economists measure inflation primarily through the calculation and analysis of price indices. One of the most commonly used tools is the Consumer Price Index, or CPI the CPI examines the average price change over time of a basket of consumer goods and services, ranging from food and clothing to entertainment and transportation. This basket is designed to be representative of the typical purchases made by consumers in a given country. And it's weighted, meaning that things people spend more of their income on each month, like housing and food, Count for more than things people spend less on each month, like entertainment or socks. Then each month, government agencies collect data on the prices of these goods and services from various retailers and service providers. By comparing the current cost of this basket to its cost in a previous period, usually a year prior, economists can compute the rate at which prices have increased, which is expressed as a percentage. In addition to the CPI, there's the Producer Price Index, or PPI, which tracks changes in the selling prices received by domestic producers for their output. The PPI can provide early indications of inflationary pressures in production that might eventually trickle down to consumers. Furthermore, to get a clearer picture of underlying trends, economists sometimes refer to core inflation. This measure strips out volatile components like food and energy prices which can experience dramatic short-term price fluctuations. By focusing on core inflation, economists can assess the longer-term, more persistent inflationary trends without the noise of short-lived price spikes or drops. It's also worth noting that while these tools and indices provide valuable insights, Measuring inflation isn't an exact science. It involves making judgments about which items to include in the basket, how to weight them, and how to adjust for changes in product quality or the introduction of new goods and services. For example, iPhones get better every year and their prices generally stay the same. Should this be taken into account, If so, how much should we adjust for these improvements? Nonetheless, by consistently applying these methodologies over time, economists can paint a relatively accurate picture of inflationary trends and their impact on the economy. So, now that we know how to detect when inflation is actually happening, we can try to answer an equally tricky question. What is causing it? There are generally three things that economists attribute to increases in inflation. The first is increases in the money supply. A good way to think about this is that at any one time, there is a certain amount of money floating around in the economy. This could be cash, money in people's bank accounts, money in Venmo or the Cash App. Think of it like a big pie. Now imagine if we suddenly make the pie bigger by adding more slices but we didn't actually have more real stuff, like cars, houses, or coffees, like the ones we're having, to spend it on. This increase in the amount of money in circulation relative to the stuff we can buy is sometimes referred to as too much money chasing too few goods. When there's more money floating around, but the same amount of goods and services, the value or purchasing power of each unit of money say a dollar, can decrease. This is because there's more money chasing after the same number of goods. So where does this extra money actually come from? It comes from the Federal Reserve in the United States, which has the power to create money. More precisely, they increase the amount of what's called base money in the economy by adding money to the reserve accounts of banks. They do this in exchange for short-term treasury bills. We'll talk more about this process in another episode. But the reason that they typically do this is to push down interest rates to stimulate the economy, especially during a downturn. By putting more money out there, they hope that people will spend and invest more, which can help get the economy rolling again. However, there's a catch. If they add too much money, for too long and it outpaces the economy's growth or the production of new goods and services, we could end up with sustained higher prices. That's what folks often worry about when they hear about monetary inflation. So in a nutshell, monetary inflation is about increasing the money supply, which can lead to each dollar having less purchasing power and potentially causing general price levels to increase. Many see this as playing a big role in the latest bout of COVID inflation as the central bank set the interest rate to essentially zero and took other measures to push down both shorter and longer term interest rates. The economy was flooded with cash and prices started to rise. But this isn't the whole story. The second cause of inflation is called cost push inflation. Imagine you're a fan of a particular brand of chocolate. The primary ingredient in your favorite chocolate is cocoa. Now let's imagine there's a sudden shortage of cocoa due to unfavorable weather conditions where it's grown. This scarcity makes cocoa more expensive. The chocolate company, facing higher costs for cocoa, might decide to pass on some or all of this cost to consumers. So the price of your favorite chocolate bar goes up. When this kind of thing happens across various goods and industries in an economy, not just with chocolates, but with many products, due to increased costs of production, we're experiencing cost-push inflation. The main culprit here are raw materials or commodities like oil. When commodities like oil prices go up, they tend to increase the cost of many goods produced in the economy since oil is an input used in production and transportation of many different kinds of goods. Not to mention that we use it to fuel our cars. These rising costs could be due to various other reasons, too. Other high raw material prices, increased wages, and maybe even government regulations that increase production costs. So in simple terms, cost-push inflation is when the overall price level in an economy rises due to increasing cost on the production side, pushing prices upwards. In 2022, we saw the Ukraine war cause supply shortages of oil and raw materials like wheat, but in 2021, there were also supply chain issues caused by COVID which reduced the supply of goods as well. Okay, so now we have monetary inflation, cost push inflation, and lastly, we have demand pull inflation. I think of inflation as always being pushed, but I guess push was taken already, and so economists say pull. Either way, this is where aggregate or total demand for goods and services in the economy rise faster than supply and it has some overlap with monetary inflation because increases in the supply of money are one of the causes of demand-pull inflation. More money drives higher demand for goods and services. But there are other drivers as well. Fiscal stimulus, or government spending, in the economy can also increase total demand for goods and services. This can include the government spending money on different projects, or it can include tax breaks that keep more money in people's pockets. It can also include the government just handing out checks like it did in 2020 and 2021 with the COVID stimulus bills. Finally, expectations about inflation play a large role as well. If consumers expect inflation to keep rising, they might make purchases of certain big items earlier than they would have to to avoid even higher prices. Workers might ask for larger increases in pay to keep up with the higher prices, and this can lead to what's called a wage price spiral, where wage increases lead to companies increasing prices to keep up with wages, and so on and so forth. The main idea with all of these causes is that the supply of goods and services and the market as a whole is not enough to keep up with demand for goods and services, at least in the near term. So let's talk about what's bad about inflation. The first and most obvious answer is that prices are going up, and no one likes higher prices. But ask yourself this, what if prices rose 5%, but my salary also rose 5%? Would I be worse off? The answer is, well, it depends. In theory, I shouldn't be worse off. Even though prices have increased, my salary has also increased enough to match it. So I should be breaking even. However, there are two other things to think about. One is my savings. For my money sitting in the bank to be able to buy the same amount of goods and services that I was before, I would need to be getting at least 5% interest on those savings just to keep up with the price increases. And if I don't, then my purchasing power or the amount of goods that I can buy with my savings is going down. Another is my salary or my wages. And here it's the same thing. If prices are rising faster than my salary, I'm also losing purchasing power. So this is the main issue with inflation. The second problem, however, is that inflation can be distortionary. That means that it causes uncertainty because it affects different people in different ways. One example of how different consumers are affected by rising prices comes from the fact that inflation depends on the typical basket of goods that you buy. Remember, the CPI has weights for different goods. Housing has the largest weight roughly 40 percent but what if i own my home outright in that case i wouldn't feel price increases nearly as much as renters who were paying much higher rental prices in fact i might be benefiting as the price of my house was rising inflation not only causes more harm for some than others but it can adversely affect our decisions going forward which leads us to the last question How do we fix it? Well, if the problem with inflation is too much demand and too little supply, then it's clear we need to decrease demand and increase supply. During COVID and at the beginning of the Ukraine war, the supply was constrained, but not permanently. Oil prices came down, China opened factories up and started producing more, and demand moved more from goods, the only stuff you could buy during lockdowns, to services when the economy started opening up again. So supply issues have eased. The main way to solve the demand side is to decrease the money supply and increase the interest rates. This is called contractionary monetary policy or tightening of the money supply. And this is what the Federal Reserve has been doing for at least the last year. The thinking is that Just as the opposite of monetary inflation when the supply of money shrinks, people spend less or similarly, when the interest rate rises, it costs more to borrow and therefore people spend less. Interest rates have risen to around 5% and personal consumption expenditure has come down. Now let's go back to the Phillips curve from the beginning of the episode. The big question is, why hasn't employment fallen? The idea here is that as demand goes down, companies should be cutting back on producing stuff, maybe even laying off some workers. And yet, as inflation has continued to come down, the unemployment rate is still at roughly 3.8%, which is historically very low and which hasn't changed much in the last year. Well, no one knows for certain what's going on yet, two possibilities have been proposed. The first is that the Phillips Curve is actually much flatter than first thought, at least in the US. That means that decreases in inflation wouldn't necessarily come with a lot of increases in unemployment. One of the reasons this could be is that the Federal Reserve has made everybody believe that we'll only allow 2% inflation and will do anything it needs to get back there. This is called inflation anchoring. And this means that people's expectations about future inflation are that it'll come back down to 2% and therefore businesses and workers won't keep increasing their wages and prices more and more. A second possibility is that much of the disinflation or reduction in inflation that we have seen is actually from reduced raw material prices like oil and the increase of supplies in goods and other items in this view demand actually hasn't decreased that much and to get back to two percent inflation interest rates will need to rise even further only the future will tell i've hoped you've learned a little something about inflation and are as glad as me that prices have come down from those highs of last year. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and write a comment telling others what you liked.